Hey friends, welcome back to Mediavine On Air and a very special welcome to our first time listeners. You've reached the podcast specially made for content creators and their businesses. Thanks for stopping by. I'm your host, Jenny Guy. What does a new year mean for you? A big party with champagne, committing to healthier eating and more exercise. Maybe it's resolutions, word of the year, or new goals for your website. Well, like it or not, there is one thing January means for all of us, and it's the T word that strikes fear into the hearts of small business owners all across the United States. Taxes. That's right, taxes. But don't fret. Today's guest takes what most people dread and breaks it down into simple chunks, plus gives us an extraordinarily informative episode. Amy Northard runs the Accountants for Creatives, a group that takes the stress out of the IRS. They help creatives all over the U.S. navigate taxes and set up bookkeeping systems so they can get back to the creative part. In today's episode, she takes that expertise and talks about it all from setting up an LLC to the importance of business accounts. Of course, if you like today's episode, make sure to subscribe and give us a rating, pretty please. For now, let's hear all about taxes from Amy. You're listening to Media Vine On Air, the podcast about the business of content creation, from SEO to ads and social media to time management. If it's about helping content creators build sustainable businesses, we are talking about it here. I'm your on-air host, Media Vine's Jenny Guy. I am here with Amy Northard. She is a partner at Amy Northard CPA, the accountants for creatives. And she was just explaining how she works with bloggers. We're here to talk about all things taxes. Uh, The question I asked you guys to post on if you're here with us in the comments is, have you already done your 2019 taxes yet? Or are you more of a wait till the last minute kind of person? And Amy was explaining what it means to be an accountant for creatives. And can you just go a little bit more over about how you do work with bloggers and some of the specific things that questions that they bring to you? Yeah, so we work with bloggers um, virtually, you know, bloggers all over the US. And we do it through video calls, phone calls, emails, those sorts of things. But we work with them um, to work on things like cash flow, saving for taxes, saving on taxes, so not only being prepared for taxes, but also how can we reduce that, how much you're paying on your income. So we try to help in all aspects of things related to taxes, bookkeeping, those sorts of things, because you never want to get to the end of the year and without knowing or having an idea. Um, Otherwise, it can be really stressful. So helping them throughout the year instead of just being that one, you know, the account that you just talked to once right around April. Okay, so we just got a comment from Melissa Greeley Oliveri. Oliveri, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. She says, no, she has not done her taxes yet. She's in Canada and this is her first year doing them as a blogger. She's terrified and she doesn't even know where to start. Let's, we'll, we'll get to you in just a minute, but let me start out with this question um, that, that might kind of address everyone broadly. Since we're all creatives, pretty much everyone that's watching is a creative in one sense or another, most website owners of their own Could you tell us any common struggles or mistakes that you see content creators making regularly with their taxes or just general accounting? I see two big ones. One is not not worrying about your bookkeeping throughout the year and just saving that for once the year wraps up. And the reason why I think that's a big mistake is, like I just mentioned, you want to know throughout the year what you can expect for taxes. So forcing yourself, getting in a good habit of like, you know, maybe once a month or um, at a minimum once a quarter, sitting down, giving yourself a chunk of time to get that taken care of and just kind of like 
make that the day you act like you are your business's CEO or CFO and spend time really treating it like a business. Even, even if you consider your blog a hobby, treat it like a business because the more you treat it like a business, the more you could potentially bring in through that venue. So even if you, you don't have to, you know, sign up for QuickBooks and spend a lot of money on that sort of thing, a simple spreadsheet, a Google Doc or a Google Sheet will work just fine. It's just putting the numbers into a usable format so you can see what's coming in, what's going out, and then plan for things. Especially right now, having a visual of like what's coming in, what's going out, and potentially what can you cut, that is, I think it's really comforting to like actually have that information in your hands rather than it all always being unknown. So figuring that out is the first thing. And then the second thing is actually making yourself send in those tax payments each quarter. If you expect that you'll owe more than $1,000 to the IRS, and for most states, their threshold is about 500. So what that means is if you were to make $10,000 and you multiply that by 25%, that would mean you estimate you're going to make you're going to need to pay in about $2,500 to the IRS for that income. So that's kind of like your indicator that you need to start actually sending money in. Right now, we'll talk about the due dates for everything as far as like the extensions, but you can hold on to that money. The IRS does impose underpayment penalties. So if you don't pay in throughout each quarter, then their way to try to get you to comply with that is to assess any penalties if you don't pay in throughout the year. Doing that is a good idea, but if you need to hold on to your cash right now, which is understandable, you can wait until the end of the year to pay in quarterly taxes, but still maybe have it in like a separate savings account so that you have it ready. And then you're not really hit hard next tax season with not having that stuff available. So your top recommendation that is to just start whether you just start estimating your taxes throughout the year, what you're going to owe, and then setting up a separate account to start siphoning that money off to make sure that it's there no matter what. And you would actually recommend paying it quarterly as opposed to waiting and paying it in a lump sum at the at the end of the year. Yeah, as long as you feel good about like your cash flow situation, I do think it's a good idea to go ahead and send it in throughout the year. That way it's out of your hands and you know that the IRS has it and it eliminates or reduces potential underpayment penalties. Um, one thing I just thought of also along that topic is yeah. you don't need to have a separate business savings account to put that money in. You can open up something like an ally savings account personally and move that money there so that you're at least earning a little bit of interest rather than it sitting in your business bank account not doing anything. So keep that in mind because income taxes are technically personal expenses. You can move that money into that type of account. Excellent advice. And it's much preferred to be earning even a little bit of interest over just sitting there and not doing anything. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit to Melissa and in general as well, essentials. What do you absolutely need? It's time to do your taxes. And I think most people, if they haven't adjusted to your way of thinking, which is a great way, which is less of a one time, it is now the time to do the taxes and make all the adjustments, but treating it more like a year round process that you're constantly doing your taxes and making sure that you're in, in compliance and in good shape. But what, what do you have to gather together? Let's help Melissa. It's her first time. It's her first time doing them as a blogger. What do you need to have to have your ducks in a row? The general process that I'm about to explain would apply to Canada and the U.S. 
essentially any country, but then some of the tax forms that I might mention are gonna be US specific. So in general, what you wanna do is what practical steps I would do if I hadn't done any bookkeeping for all of last year. I would go to my bank account. If it's a business account, great. If it's a personal account, that's fine too. But export all of your transactions for last year into a spreadsheet. They usually have a way for you to select the whole year and then export it into a CSV file. And then from there, I would delete a lot of the extra stuff. You really only need to have the date, the amount, and the description in there. Um, if your stuff is mixed with business and personal, delete out all the personal stuff and then add in a column for the categories. So just go line by line. If it was income, call it income. If it was supplies, you know, go work through down, down through your list. Um, don't get hung up on what to call something. Um, it's not super important because, and the reason is because you've already determined that it's a business expense at this point. So, you know, the IRS isn't going to audit you just to change the title of something. Like they're not going to say, oh, you listed that as supplies. We want it to be called office supplies. It doesn't matter the category really. So um, work through that. And then you can either do like a sort within Excel, or if you want to get crazy, do a pivot table. You know, there's a lot of options for sorting that information, which will tell you the total income and then all of the expenses. Um, if you're using a tax program, like TurboTax or like an online program, you can plug those totals in for your business income and expenses. And that's pretty much it. So that takes care of your business side of things. Um, you want to make sure when you're doing your own taxes that in the US we have 1099s. So you want to make sure that the income that you report on like a Schedule C, that gross income. So before any expenses are taken out, that number is greater than, equal to or greater than the amount that you're reporting on your Schedule C or the amount that you have been reported on 1099s. So if I got a 1099 for $10,000, but I only saw $9,000 of deposits into my bank account, if I only reported $9,000, it's like an instant letter from the IRS. You will get one so fast because they see a mismatch. They see, oh, someone said you made 10,000, you're only reporting nine. So that's one of the huge things that can really freak people out. Um, even if the net amount is the same, you have to really be careful of that. Uh, no, but yes, I would definitely say that no one is happy with uh, a letter from the IRS as much as we all like mail. That is not the kind that we want. So Matt Hockford came in and said, hi. He said, the biggest area of taxes I struggle with are what I can and cannot write off, especially with family members who are part of a quote, work trip. Conducting research is so vague and I tend to write it all off, but it does keep me up at night sometimes. The IRS is not, they're not really black and white about this type of thing. So it's really on you to determine. I kind of like for my own business, I kind of do a gut feeling like, does this feel more like a personal trip that I'm trying to disguise as a business trip or is part of it business? So if you're doing a work trip and you know a few days of it are to speak at a conference or attend a conference, but then you tack on you know, an extra few days at the resort to hang out with your family, you can deduct your travel there, you can deduct your travel home for yourself, and you can deduct your hotel night or Airbnb or whatever while you're there for the business meeting. Um, everything else, meals, hotel, those that are incurred when you don't have business purpose need to be left off. And I know that can be 
that's a really like black and white example. And I know there's a lot of examples out there where like you might be, I've had photographers tell me like they went on their shooting images to be sold as prints. So they want to deduct part of their trip to Europe. Um, it's, you know, I, there's a lot of different scenarios and you really want to make sure you're only deducting the business portion. So I wouldn't deduct your entire family meals. Um, if you're bringing kids, they're, they're probably not there for a business purpose, even if you are taking their picture for the blog. Just because it's documented for blog purposes doesn't necessarily mean it should be a business expense. That's helpful and maybe not what everyone wanted to hear, but yeah. definitely helpful. And no, and it's better to be safe than sorry than to have someone come back. And have you ever seen the IRS come and say, come back on someone deducting something like that as a business expense, like a trip, a work trip that ended up being. And I think that I can see travel bloggers get into getting into that all the time with their, they're bringing their family and some blogs. Uh, we have several that we work with at Mediavine that are family travel blogs. So the whole, the brand is about having your whole family with you when you travel. So have you yeah, seen I the IRS? I haven't personally had any of my clients have any problems with it, but the more, the more income you make, the more, the larger those deductions get, um, the bigger chance you have to be selected for an audit. So you just need to be really, really careful. The, the bigger that gets, that you're documenting all of that. Like if trout, if you are traveling all year long, you need to have, um, you know, I would have a spreadsheet of like what the purpose was of this trip. And um, the more documentation, the better for that type of thing. Fantastic. Okay. Melissa had another question for us from Canada and she, uh, we're going to get to more on this, but let's get her right now. She said, which turbo tax would you suggest for us bloggers? So I'll be honest. I'm not like a, I don't know a lot about all the different types of turbo tax. I think if they have the option, I would start out with their base option and then they're going to ask you a bunch of questions and it'll lead you into like their more expensive plan. So start with the baseline and add what you need. Um, I haven't, since I've um, been a CPA and worked at tax firm, I haven't had the opportunity to go through and use something like TurboTax or H&R Block. Um, I just have a kind of a vague understanding. So, yeah. Start out with your base, start out with the minimum, and then add a la carte or answer the questions to get where you need to go, Melissa. Okay. So, the giant elephant in the room that of every room of every live of every conversation is um, what's going on with COVID-19 and uh, the coronavirus. And due to that, we have had tax day postponed from April 15th to July 15th of this year, which is awesome for some procrastinators. But what impact will this have on small business owners? What if you've already done your taxes? Good job, everyone that has done that. Will everything be delayed, including potential refunds? What is this going to mean? So they're, they're actually, if you have already filed or need to file, they are um, really prioritizing getting those refunds out to people because that's kind of a form of stim stimulating the economy is getting that money back out so that you can use it to support yourself. So that's, um, you know, if you are a procrastinator, but you think that you'll get a refund, it's at least worth getting your return prepared. If you aren't ready to file it, that's fine, but it can give you an idea. Um, now, if you're going to have to owe, you can make a plan for it. 
if you are getting a refund and get that filed ASAP so they can start processing that. The deadline is for federal taxes that got extended. A lot of the states haven't um, matched that or, or posted anything about it. So um, you want to check with your state because you don't want to get deemed there with failure to file penalties. If you want to wait, you may need to at least file an extension in your state um, so that you don't get that get hit there. Um, some states are allowing uh, are still requiring that you pay or you file by April 15th and then you have the extended time to pay. It just really varies by state. So check on your state's Department of Revenue website um, and confirm before you just brush it off to the side. I'm going to keep baking bread. I'm not going to worry about it until July 15th. Amy and I were talking before about baking bread and we're both getting into that more now that we're, we're all home. Um, okay. So how does the new deadline affect quarterly tax payments specifically? So right now, the way things stand right this minute, the first quarter payment has been pushed to that July 15th deadline. The weird thing is though, the second quarter payment is still due June 15th. So that means it's, a month ahead of the first quarter. From what I've seen, the stimulus package they're working on passing right now addresses that and will probably update that second quarter payment so that it's not in a weird order. So just keep an eye out for when that eventually passes. And um, if you are one of those people that pays quarterly, like um, habitually, like keep an eye on that because that will allow you to keep more cash in your pocket if things are tight. Fantastic. Okay. So you mentioned filing an extension. For those of us who've never done that, what does that entail? What do we need to do to file an extension? And are they separate for state and federal? And how do I do this? Um, so some states do accept the federal extension. Um, a super, super easy way to file a federal extension. If you get to July 15th and you're like, there's just no way, like maybe you've had a bunch of other stuff going on and you just can't get it done by that time. If you go on to irs.gov slash payments, you can file an extension. You can put in like, I think maybe the minimum is $10, but you can make a payment towards an extension on their website and that automatically files an extension for you. And then when you go to file your taxes for 2019, however much you paid with that extension, you want to make sure that shows up as an extension payment on your taxes. So that's the easiest way that I've found if you aren't working with an accountant on your taxes to get one filed and you have that confirmation right there for you. Once that's sent in, then I recommend Googling, does my state, so insert your state, accept the federal personal extension? A lot of states accept it, but there are still quite a few that don't, and you have to physically file an extension form with the state. So then again, like for that, if you need to file one with your state, Google, um, you know, New York, personal income tax extension that should bring up the form some of them will have an online filing option um, some of them you'll have to physically print out the form um, if you're going to make a payment with it write out the amount you're paying send in a check and get it in the mail and you need to have it postmarked by the date that your taxes are 
do. So if your state has is still sticking to that April 15th deadline, you need to get that extension sent in by that time. Speaking of the fact that we have an extension, how do we get our taxes done while in quarantine? You know, what what do we what do we need to do? It's going to make it a lot more complicated. Do you have any tips for people that are stuck at home and trying to do the, their part to flatten the curve and self isolate? So there's a few options. We've already talked about TurboTax, H&R Block. There's tons of online DIY options out there. Um, so if you, you know, take some time, if you want to go that route, um, gather up all of your documents. I think it's really helpful if you want to have them like in a Dropbox folder, but have them all in one place so that you're not doing part of it. And then you have to set everything down and go find your W-2 and um, that sort of thing. So gather everything up, get all your um, business numbers in order, and then sit down to work through all of their questions. So that's probably going to be the most accessible. Um, there, if you traditionally work with an accountant that you've had to go into their office and sit down with them, some of them have been able to transition to an online or a virtual format. Um, so check with them about how they want you to deliver your tax documents. If that's not the case, um, there are a lot of virtual accounting firms out there like mine who um, are already set up to work virtually. We uh, use online file sharing. We don't deal with any paper or paperless firm. So you send in your documents, we prepare the return, we ask any questions, and then we send you a return to review, and then we e-file it. So it's pretty easy. Um, whether you do it yourself or you decide to you know, hire somebody, there are a lot of options still to get it taken care of. Excellent. All right. So We've given you some ways to get, get yourself still taken care of. Don't wait until July 15th if you can avoid it. But if you are having a situation where there's some tight cash flow, which we all feel that right now, it's okay to not to be holding off and to be looking for those different ways that you can defer. Okay. What are the best ways as bloggers and content creators like our audiences to better prepare for taxes all throughout the year versus waiting until tax time? Are there any specific programs or systems you can recommend? The best accounting software, um, maybe your favorite spreadsheet tool. Just just give us a the whole the whole shebang of everything. And I know you mentioned QuickBooks, so I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so if you do find yourself with some extra time at home besides breaking bread and, um, you know, starting a garden or whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. now could be a good time to actually take some time to learn how to use QuickBooks. It's usually one of those programs that I tell people if you have the time, like you need to have a significant chunk of time to go through some tutorials, learn how to do reconciliations and essentially learn how to do it, use it appropriately because it can get really hairy, really fast if you don't have an accounting background. So they have a couple different levels of it. Their QuickBooks self-employed is the one that they've really taken out all, taken away all the bells and whistles and tried to simplify it so that you don't make a mess of it. And so if you are worried about that, that's the one I would go with. And I think sometimes it's like $5 a month. It might be a max of $10 a month. So that one's pretty affordable. Another program that is actually free is called wave apps their website you can they have invoicing just like quickbooks and all, a lot of the other ones so if you're not wanting to take on any additional expenses theirs is a great program to look at they have tons of tutorials and but that's another one you really need to spend some time figuring out like how did the transfers work so that you're not duplicating your income when I started my business I was like fully into spreadsheets I loved 
just how easy they were to manipulate. I still use a lot of spreadsheets in my business. So if, if you like feel the hives coming on when, we, when we're talking about QuickBooks, don't feel like you need to go that route. I already talked about using a spreadsheet if you're in a pinch to figure everything out for last year, but it can also be just a really good tool for planning for this year. We're using it to plan out future months for our clients. We can see how much money we have left over after expenses are taken out and kind of plan budgets for the rest of the year to make sure that we feel comfortable with being able to you know, keep the business up and running. So um, I'm a huge fan of spreadsheets. I know there's tons of different kinds out there. We use a lot of like Excel, Google Sheets, there's Airtable out there. Tons of free options for you to look at and um, make them as fancy or not fancy as you are as long as you're able to get the information that you need from them. Great advice. I love a good spreadsheet too and I also have become an Airtable convert in recent months. So uh, I love both of those and I think they're both awesome and can do a lot of really powerful things for you to take some of the guesswork out of all this. So Matt Hawkward says, are any tips for creative write-offs beyond the basic things we all usually write off but I'd love to have more deductions to offset taxes this seems harder to do when you are the only employee and work from home yeah it's tough and and usually the one my go-to one is to tell people to try to contribute to retirement but in the in this type of economy contributing to retirement if it's far off might not be your best investment right now you know it might be good to invest back into your business in terms of education growing your offerings and those sorts of things so that your income can grow exponentially in the upcoming years so so my go-to of retirement contributions isn't necessarily the best option but if you do have enough cash flow available um, a good like SEP IRA is a good option it reduces your taxable income so it doesn't reduce your self-employment income but it does reduce that income tax that you would pay so that's something to look into your if you want if you use your cell phone for business purposes you can deduct the business portion of your cell phone bill so I wouldn't we probably always still use our cell phones for a at least a little bit of personal use so unless you have two separate cell phones one where you're only using for business and then one you're only using for personal you'll want to figure out estimate to the best of your ability how much you're using that cell phone for business purposes and then that's something you can deduct I don't see it being provided very often because people just think of it more like a personal thing right. um, so that's one thing and then even for us work at home people if you are having to go to the post office if you are like a food blogger and you have to go to the store to get groceries to make a recipe every little business related trip away from your home base can be deducted so you know use a spreadsheet if you find yourself doing a lot of those trips and it's hard to keep up with a spreadsheet. Uh, Mile IQ is another good option for tracking that. That's another kind of hidden one that a lot of work from home people don't think about is just those little trips that seem normal and not deductible. Those can be deducted too. Very helpful. And um, who would think that you could deduct just a trip to the store, but that's fantastic. Do you, so you said Mile IQ is a good system for keeping track of those trips. Do you have any other expense tracker uh, tips that, or uh, software that might be great or apps even to put on the phone? So I wish that I was sponsored by QuickBooks, but I'm not, but they have those um, little, they have apps for their different levels of software that you can have on your phone. I think Wave has an app too, but it's nice because 
they have little like in-app cameras that you can take pictures of your receipt. Um, another free option would be, um, I have Dropbox on my phone and they have a scanning option. So you can have a receipt folder and just scan your receipts right into there. I would put like a date on them so that they're easy to find, but you don't need to go crazy and like have a bunch of folders and subfolders for your receipts. You just need to be able to have them accessible if the IRS were to request copies. And digital is completely fine. Um, they understand that, um, you know, we live in a more paperless world and they're completely fine accepting digital copies of things. That is good to hear. We, it is a digital world. Uh, Matt said, this live session has been super helpful learning a lot. Thanks. Go ahead. Thank you, Matt. Okay, so for people who have full-time jobs and the side hustle, which is typically uh, when we're dealing with Mediavine in our audience, their side hustle would be their blog. Is there anything special they should do when they're preparing their taxes? So one thing to keep in mind, if you have a full-time job and then this is just um, a side hustle, is your full-time job may pay for some or all of the taxes that you um, generate from your business. So what I would do is I would look back at your prior year return. If you had, if you had the business on there for that year, check and see how much of a refund, if any, that you got. Um, that can kind of give you a hint as to do I need to actually send in the typically recommended like 30% of your profit for taxes, or can I back that off a little bit because my day job is paying for some of that tax. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, also, the home office thing, if you are regularly and exclusively using a space in your home, it doesn't have to be an entire room. It could be like a little corner in your basement or something like that. But as long as it's not like your part of your kitchen or your living room where your family lives, uh, you can deduct, you can still deduct a home office space. Um, they, It might come back eventually, but they got rid of that home office deduction for day jobs. So if it's related to W-2 income, they got rid of that um, a couple of years ago, but you still have that opportunity um, as related to your blog. So that's a good way to deduct an expense you would be incurring anyways, but now you get benefit from it. Love that. That's our favorite kind of thing. Okay. If you are deep in the weeds of procrastination, like in the forest, it's far, it's dark, and you don't have any good systems in place, what are some small steps to make accounting seem like a less daunting task for you? I think the, the very first, and I think probably the easiest thing to do is if you don't already have a separate business bank account, set that up. If you're a sole proprietor, then you can even use a separate personal checking account where you only have all of your business transactions flow through. Um, if you're an LLC, S corporation, um, you'll want to have a separate actual business account with your bank. Hold, hold, hold. Um, Tell us what all those things are and what that means and why, <laughs> why we would be one and not the other. The three statuses I mentioned, sole proprietor, single member LLC, or just a regular LLC, and then an S corporation. Sole proprietor is what you are as soon as you open a business, basically. As soon as you start making money, that's the default. You are a sole proprietor, whether you have filed anything or not. My lemonade stand, I am a sole proprietor of my lemonade stand. Exactly. Fantastic. Or the bread. I'm going to sell the bread that we're baking. Yeah. People will buy it. <laughs> So that's the easiest one. You don't have any state fees associated with that. 
there's just a lot of less regulations. The downside to that one is, you know, you and the business are one in the same. So if something happens, then your personal assets are at risk. Once the kind of the next level up is becoming an LLC that separates you as you, the individual, and then you, the business. So in order to keep that separation though, you have to have a separate business account. You can't be using your personal account for business expenses all the time or vice versa, using your business PayPal account to pay for personal things because it's easy and you have money in there. So you just have to really like focus on keeping that separate in order to get the benefit of the LLC separation. But from a tax perspective, there's no difference. If you are a sole proprietor and you become an LLC, you're still going to pay the same amount of tax. You're still going to file the same types of tax forms. And then the S corporation is kind of that next level up. So I typically recommend that for people who are making a profit. So that's income left after expenses of about $50,000 or more. And that threshold gives them enough profit for the tax savings to be larger than the additional expenses that they're going to have to pay for by becoming an S corporation. So um, those are the different levels. But if you are an LLC or S corporation, then get that separate bank account. You can, a lot of banks, um, you can set them up online if you they're not, a lot of banks aren't doing in-person meetings right now, but you right. will still be able to do a lot of it over the phone or online. So take that step. It'll feel really good to check that off. And then um, I, I have my links to QuickBooks. So I just leave it up. It's like one of my 50 tabs on my um, Google Chrome. I leave it up. Yeah. And I just go there like every day I click on it, I refresh my transactions and I categorize them. That way I have like maybe five to 10 transactions to deal with rather than hundreds if I were to wait, um, you know, towards the end of the quarter or whatever. So if you can keep up with it, then it will be a lot easier. Even if you're just using a spreadsheet, adding those in as they happen rather than saving that stuff up will just be less overwhelming and and uh, you can keep up with it. So that's what I would recommend. And then I know we talked about it, that it doesn't really matter earlier at what you name those categories, but can you give us just a basic overview of potential categories that people could have just if they're feeling a little bit like, I don't know, I bought paper and I have dog, I, I don't, I've got a course. Yeah. So, um, uh, a great place to start would be just to Google the Schedule C form. So that in the expense section, they're going to give you a lot of different types of expense categories like um, advertising, um, insurance, interest paid on like credit card bills, um, office expenses, supplies. So they've got a lot of those basic ones. But then at the very end, they have one called other expenses. So that's where if your stuff doesn't fit nicely into one of the categories they put on the main page, on the second page of the Schedule C, you can essentially make up your own category. So if you find yourself buying a lot of things that you can fit into a category, like let's say you buy a lot of props for images for your blog, you could create a category called props expenses and do that. But what you don't want to do is have a category for paper expense, a category for pen expense. Like you want to group as much as you can into a category that makes sense, but you want to be careful that you don't have $3,000 in other business, like miscellaneous business expenses. You don't want to have just a bunch of random stuff, you know, put together and because then the IRS is going to be like, oh, what are they hiding in there? So try to give it your best category name so that it's descriptive, but not 
too specific. So speaking of that, what are the biggest red flags for the IRS? What 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 are the things that are like you just said, having random thousands of dollars in a in a category in a, a category that isn't specific and isn't clear is one. What are some others that we can look out for? Um, so that one we already talked about would be having your gross income not match the total 1099s that the IRS has on their end. So that's going to be like an instant. They don't even have to think about it. They're going to send you a letter type situation. Got it. Um, I've seen audits happen. Now, one thing I want to say, I mentioned audits. A lot of times that they just send you a letter and they say, give us the detail. They're not sending a scary person to your house and making you sit down and like tell them your life story. It's not <laughs> An audit's not that scary typically. So um, usually it's just sending them back in documentation. Then there's an agent that looks it all over and says, yes, I agree with this or no, here are my proposed changes. So just want to get that out there. It's not super scary if it happens. Another trigger could be like if you had, let's say 2018, you had $3,000 of travel expenses and then 2019, you report $60,000 of travel expenses. Mm -hmm. Like a jump like that in that type of category might tip them off to say, maybe they put in like a family travel, like a, you know, travel abroad type thing and stuck it in here. We want to know more. So they're going to ask you to provide receipts and details about all the travel and that sort of thing. So it's big jumps like that, or maybe every year you have 20 or $30,000 loss generated by your business. Um, you know, if that happens once or twice, it's not a big deal. But if it's like every single year you have a huge loss, then they may also want to know what you're doing. Excellent. Those are great things to avoid. So speaking back to the pr proposed stimulus that um, we're, we're having and then hopefully will happen, how will that affect our taxes for 2020? What's What impact might that have on all of us? So from what I read, because, you know, they're still working on passing it. So nothing is set in stone at this point. Um, but from what I read, uh, they will make those payments based on your 2018 or 2019 taxes. So if you didn't file for 2019, but you have filed for 2018, then um, they will, if you had direct deposit information in there on your return, they'll use that to um, direct deposit the amount that you qualify for. Then when you file taxes for 2020, they will essentially like even it out. So if you... If on your 2018 taxes, maybe you made way too much to qualify, but when you file your 20, 2020 taxes and your income was below a certain threshold and you should have gotten it, but you didn't, then they'll give it to you as a refundable credit on your 2020 taxes. So that's just something that I've read. It's not set in stone for that, but it's they're kind of going back to when there was a stimulus payment paid out, I think in 20. 2008 was the last one. Um, so they're guessing that it's going to kind of follow similar guidelines as to what they did with that. So if you have not had a refund in the past and you've paid, so they don't have your direct deposit information on hand, they will mail you a check. So if you've moved recently, you, um, I recommend calling the IRS. Well, first of all, you can file your taxes. Um, for 2019 with the new address. That's going to probably get it changed the fastest. If you've already done that and it has your old address, then there are change of address forms on the IRS website. From what I've read, they might, since it will impact where the checks go, they might 
prioritize getting those processed because they usually take six to eight weeks to actually get processed. But hopefully since it's um, such an important thing to get taken care of, they might bump that up and make that a priority. Um, and then you could potentially call and make sure that they have the correct address on form or on file. So is there any way to petition the IRS for um, if you know for a fact that you have changed income like tax brackets since the 2018 or 20 since the 2018 was filed? Is there a way to petition them and maybe get that money faster than waiting for a 2020 credit if you're needing it now? It's, so they're either going to base it on 2018 or they'll base it on 2018 if you haven't filed 2019. If your income was too high in 2019 and you expected to go way down in 2020, we're kind of like into the unknown right now. For um, sure. And more so ways than one. They're probably not going to have some manual action where you call and report, you know, request that. That's understandable. Okay. So we are nearing the end of our hour here. So I wanted to give you a, a minute to, um, for our last question, which is going to be, what is the biggest mistake you see when helping your clients prepare taxes? Um, just general question um, or the best tip that you could give for somebody who is either has filed them or is getting ready to try to take care of them from home, from self-isolation. And guys, I'm going to give a quick announcement before we go back with Amy. So next Monday, we are doing a follow-up on uh, the live that I did in the Facebook group with Eric on COVID. We are going to talk about, we just decided this about two hours ago, but we're going to talk about blogging is not dead because we are aware that not just in the influencer industry, but in all industry, there's a lot of uncertainty and we are going to get together and I'm going to be here with Eric on Monday we're going to talk about all the reasons why our industry has the stamina to make it through this. And um, it's going to be a good hour. We'll answer all the questions that we can as much as things are unknown. So join us. That's going to be Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find more information about it on the Facebook page. And then a week from today, it's another episode of Teal Talk. That is going to be surviving slash thriving slash whatever you want to call it with children at home that you are not used to. So we're going to talk, give our, have a couple of homeschooling experts on there. Um, they are Amira Martin from Four Hats and Frugal and Sarah from the Stay at Home Educator. They're two media mind publishers. They are both very well versed in homeschooling. And we're going to talk about not only ways to keep everyone occupied, but also strategies on how to keep getting work done that you need to do and be able to maintain your sanity in ways other than wine. So those are the things we've got coming up next week. And both of those are next week. So next Thursday, we've got tips for homeschooling and keep continuing to work with our new circumstances at home. And then Monday, we have blogging is not dead with our CEO, Eric Hochberger. We're going to keep sharing on all of that. Follow us on Facebook to make sure that you don't miss any of these and then subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you do miss one, you will have, uh, all of those will be uploaded and you can get back um, old conference sessions from our past years of those and lots of educational materials um, there as well. All right, Amy Northard, it has been a pleasure to have you. Please answer that last question. What is the biggest mistake you see or the biggest tip you can give for people that are working on their taxes now? Um, I would say the biggest tip that I can give right now is the fact that knowledge is power in terms of our stress. Nice. So if you know if you are worried that you're going to owe a lot, get it get it done, get it get that weight off your shoulders. It gives you some time to plan for the tax. Whether you know 
worst case, you have to sign up for a payment plan and that's not a big deal. That's always an option and don't put it off. I know a lot of people are going to because of that extension deadline, but spend some time, get it done, get that off your shoulders because if we have enough things that are stressful right now, you know, take that, take that one off the plate and get it taken care of. If you guys are meeting the payment plan, states offer them as well. And there's even like PayPal credit teamed up with some like online tax payment place to give you six months of an interest-free tax, basically a cushion. So you can use their program. You have six months of interest-free time to get that all paid off. So if you, the IRS offers like 120-day payment plan, that one is a little bit longer. So there's tons of options out there. Um, Don't feel like this is like the end of the world if you do owe with your taxes. Overcoming analysis paralysis. And I lied. There is one more uh, question I was going to ask you, which is, at what point do you recommend people consult a professional to work with someone to help them with their taxes? I would say if you are, partnerships can get a little hairy in terms of distributions and how the tax returns work, as well as S corporations. So those are two that I would say, if you're at that point or considering that, start talking with an accountant now, maybe, you know, this summer, summertime is a good time to start interviewing accountants, finding ones that are available and that match your work style in preparation for the next tax year or tax um, season. And then um, as far as business in general, if you just feel overwhelmed, you know, ask for help. Things can get really crazy if you're using tons of different payment methods and that sort of thing. So if you just feel nervous and you'd rather have someone on your side to walk you through everything, that's another good kind of gut gut feeling or um, gut indication that it might be worth talking with an accountant. You know, if you don't want to do ongoing services, a lot of accounts are doing consulting. So sit down for an hour and just talk through how to do your bookkeeping or those sorts of things. And that is great advice. And what questions would you ask an accountant that you were shopping? If you were, if you were consulting or or talking to someone, what do you, what would you ask? Um, I think I'm good. Well, first of all, I would ask what, niches do you specialize in you know we obviously specialize in creatives but there's some out there that even specialize further into just bloggers or just photographers or those sorts of things so um find someone that you feel comfortable with has the knowledge to work with you and then next talk to them about their preferred communication style some people love face-to-face you know sit down at a table here's all my papers, Um, let's talk this through. If you're that type of person, then a virtual accountant firm isn't gonna be a good fit for you. So talk them through that. Um, And then also a lot of accountants, especially during busy season can kind of like fall off the face of the earth. So make sure that you feel good about the pace that they're responding to your email or returning your communication. Because if they're slow in the beginning to follow up with you, it's not going to get any better during taxes. And that's probably one of the biggest complaints I see about just accounts in general is that they're terrible at um, responding and getting back to people in a timely manner. So those are kind of like red flag things you can be aware of when you're shopping around. So helpful. Amy Norther, thank you so much for returning and for answering all of our questions and getting people set up to get themselves in gear for 2019 and have a good start for 2020. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
On Air is brought to you by Mediavine. If you're creating amazing and original content, we are here to help. From ad management with maximum earnings and 24-7 support to cutting-edge WordPress plugins, our team has your back. Want free tips in your inbox? Subscribe to our newsletter at mediavine.com slash subscribe. If you're a Mediavine On Air fan, and why wouldn't you be, please give us your five-star rating love and subscribe wherever you're listening.